Welcome to episode 28 of Signs, Cosines, and Tangents. How are you doing this week, Jared? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm not. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, so, with very little preamble, I figure we'll jump right into our overfilled tangent section. It's, it's chock full of tangents. And nuts. Well, we're the nuts in this But in that's this coffee. Analogy. That's coffee? Chock full of nuts? Why do they say that? It's beans. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? I don't understand that. But, uh, okay. So first up, moving in, because I said there was no preamble and I don't want to be a liar. Uh, Mega Man. Which one? Are we going to talk about Mega Man? I think we're going to... I was going to try to get in as much Mega Man as possible. That's not the subject of this podcast, by the way. Uh, Isn't it? No. Signs, cosines, and... Mega Man? Mega Man? And Rock rock and Roll? And Rock. And Rush? Yeah, and Rush. Uh, So, obviously, the Mega Man games have been around for a while. Jared has kind of a passing familiarity with most of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've talked about the Mega Man collection where they re-release games that you've bought four times previously. What's for... the new marketing model for a lot of developers and publishers that don't make new new stuff very often? You mean the... Capcom? And Konami. And, and Konami. Konami. That's true. Konami um... too. So Japanese publishers is really where we're going with this. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't make new games anymore. No, apparently not. Uh, and, and in keeping in that, in keeping with the Capcom theme... Mega Man X series, which was an alternate universe Mega Man no. game series. No, did you? That was you triggered me. You did it intentionally, but I just <laughs> want to clarify: the X collect the X series is a continuation of the original series. It takes place in a side story. No, it's it's a hundred years later, and it's the direct continuation, 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 Con- commutation, commutation, yes. computation. No commutation. Commutation? They're commuting your sentence so that you have to go back and play it again. Oh. Anyway, so they released the Mega Man X collection on every platform, including, I think, Alexa. Yeah. Well, and they did what was, I think, really co- kind of cool. Um, and, it, and it makes a, a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. They released it as two collections, but they released them at the same time. And Instead you can of buy a them... few months apart like they did with the Mega Man collection. Yeah, and you can buy them both at once. Um as one purchase that makes a lot of sense so there are two SKUs sold independently well, here's, together here's the real thing everything after four people have opinions about well i would think people would have opinions about all of them yeah but for the most part are people... they divisive opinions is, um, is it a split in the fan base there is a split in the fan base around five okay generally people hate six and seven those were the 3d ones right Seven was the 3D one. Okay, I couldn't remember it. And eight was how, a how much I played these. A return to 2D. Okay, whatever. Anyhow, let's. We got to move here, so we can't spend a lot of time. Yeah. On this, so if you haven't bought Mega Man X Collection, I, the first one through four, wow, Chef's Kiss, amazing, great games, and I hope they make another X game soon. Well, we'll come back to the continuation, of the main line. Mega Man series okay. later on the podcast. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. So, uh, next item. Yeah. Doom Eternal. Yeah. Did you play the first Doom, the reboot, the remake? Yeah, I did. I have two different copies of it. Um, And it came to Switch. It did. I and don't know why. Because people 
like to shoot things on Switch. No, see, see news item number one. About not making new stuff, but just putting old stuff well, on new well, platforms. We're going to get there. Um, <laughs> so Doom Eternal looks great. It looks it's, like a, it's Doom 2. It is, but I mean, they amped everything up. You have like a pokey poke arm now, and you can pokey slow down poke? time, and there's What's, like a grappling hook now. Pokey poke arm. It's like a metal spike that comes out of your arm for no reason other to speed up the melee attacks. Well, because every time it would render one of those... Yeah. pre-animations it would take yeah. away from the speed of the game right uh in in doom the 2015 16 16? 2016 yeah. yeah so i don't know it looks great it looks like you're right it is doom 2 hell on earth i have complete faith but here's the kicker and this is what i wanted to bring this up because our talk about new games and re-releasing games on switch um bethesda said Doom Eternal is launching on Switch the same day as other platforms. Didn't which is, uh, Wolfenstein 2 also? No, it was a, a few months. It was like okay. three or four months. I couldn't remember because I completely bypassed that so, game. So, that being said, that's that's some true commit, commitment to the Switch. But, I don't know if people are going to buy it as their primary, especially if they're hardcore gamers. But So, what I do remember from playing Doom on the PS4 which is my primary platform. And then going to the Switch. And going to the Switch is the Switch was a less than optimal experience. Yeah. But you could play it portably. Like, yes. But Skyrim for the Switch runs as well. But Skyrim was a game released last gen, so that would only make sense it yeah, could it was run. was 10 years well. ago. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It looks exciting. I was a real fan of the reboot of Doom. It's one of my favorite FPSs. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of its arcadey feel, its fast nature. It, super fast. I mean, no duck and cover. I mean, it really incentivizes. The multiplayer still eh, but... The and they didn't announce anything from the multiplayer side, so... Well, well now that um, Nintendo has online play, it could change everything. Or nothing. That's not on the list here. Um, and I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Um, you don't want to talk about a Nintendo topic. Everybody write this down. This is a first. Yeah. Nintendo's online. Um, first off, everybody kept waiting. Oh my gosh, what are they going to announce with it? And it was like, hey, everything we already announced, that's what it is. Um, so enjoy. And pay us $20 pay a us year. Pay us $20 to still get disconnected in Splatoon 2. Oh, great. Well. Bar cool. set high. Cool. Moving on. Cyberpunk 2077. Yes. I finally watched the gameplay trailer with you. I was going to say, finally with <laughs> me, because I said, Jared, well, we're going to watch this. I kept saying for weeks, then it went into months saying I was going to watch it, and I just never got around to it. So I'm going to let you start off on it, because you're a fan of Cyberpunk 2040, 15, 15, 16, 2020. 2020 started out as 2014 then became 2020 right then became 2030 right now it's 2077 yeah uh, 77 sounds cool well you got to put it far so here's the thing when i first <laughs> bought the box set of the tabletop game cyberpunk 2014 by r talzorian games 2014 was the future <laughs> like this was 1988 1990 uh 
2014 was really far away at that point. We thought flying we would have cars, flying cars. Flying cars. You know, n- nobody actually thought we would have flying cars. But we did believe in the complete disillusion of society that cyberpunk represents. And the corporate interests owning and running everything. Yeah. We were right. <laughs> but 2014 got an update a few years later and became 2020. And then, so they kept moving it up a little bit. And there was some storyline advancement between the games as well. 2077, we've talked about it before. We've talked about how long it's been in development with CD Projekt. This was our first time to see a captive demo, which was shown at E3 this year. And it's it's real footage. Now, I take some umbrage with the concept that this is it's real footage. very scripted footage. Oh, this is a completely controlled experience. Yeah. Complete with narration. Open world. Yeah. There's a lot of things that when I watched it the first time, I kind of took a step back and I was like, that's awesome. Really what I'm looking for. But... I want to kind of get your feel for this. What what was your impression? Because you're not familiar with the world. No. So, so this looked, well, it was interesting. It looked like future Skyrim. Interesting analogy. Analogy, yeah. I don't know. It it felt incredible for a next gen open world experience. Mm-hmm. It felt very scripted and very non-next-gen from a gameplay aspect. So I think some of that is subject to the fact that this is effectively the press demo they showed at E3, which was a video. It was non-interactive, right? They didn't give a version of the game to the press to play. Right, and I mean, what they talked about was decisions in the early game are going to affect the end game, which we've heard back in the Mass Effect days, you know. Yeah, but we saw it in The Witcher. You saw it in The Witcher. I haven't played The Witcher. So maybe you can talk more about that. Okay. Well, we saw elements of it in The Witcher. There were decisions you could make in The Witcher that would change the storyline. Now, not to the sweeping level that Bioware claimed would happen in Mass Effect, which ultimately didn't happen in Mass Effect because the people who wrote the early story didn't stick around to write the end story. Um, And, of course, they had production deadlines and technology changes. Uh, The one thing I will say about the Cyberpunk 2077 video that that they released is it does give a good feel for night city, California and the world and, and kind of the adult nature, but it it's kind of adult for the sake of being adult rather than actually being organic. Yeah. There was a, there was a scene where they're investigating a a crime scene and spoiler alert, boobies, boobies. Yes. Full CGI next gen boobies. And to be fair, she was fairly flat chested. That's your, you can, whatever. <laughs> um, but they lingered on the booby shot more than what I would consider tasteful. Um, From a point of view, you have to look at the person's chest, right? When you're you, picking them up and you're putting your arms under them to lift them out of an ice filled bathtub. You must, you have to. Yeah. And then hopefully we don't lose power, but uh, yeah. the lights are flickering in here. Apparently the gods are displeased with the subject. Anyhow. So. That that aside, um, that th- talks about the whole human augmentation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's a very much a part of that universe of. Um, well, and the other thing you can guarantee in a cyberpunk game is everybody is a dick to everybody. Everybody's an asshole. Even your friends aren't your friends because they can just be bought. 
And you see elements of that in this, where this corporation runs the world, basically, or a bunch of corporations, megacorps. And, you know, the main character has a few different ways they can go into this. They walk up to this person to make a deal. They immediately get a gun shoved in their face and their brain hijacked by these corporate people who obviously don't have anything to worry about because it's not against the law or anything. Because they are the law. Exactly. So I thought it did a really good job of kind of setting the um, setting the pace for how brutal the world could be. Um, and then you see the extreme augmentation of the people that you're going to meet in this demo. Uh, I will be interested to see how it actually plays. Uh, there are some things, and obviously there's a lot of copy and paste people in the open world scene. Well, yeah, that was one thing they touted in the press demo was it's got an unparalleled number of NPCs that have their own lives and schedules and motives and, and dialogue trees and... Okay. Yeah. I don't believe that that's going to be the case. Yeah. Uh, we heard the same thing with Oblivion, actually. If you go all the way back to Oblivion. Well, and we're hearing the same thing with Next Dead Red... Next Dead? Next ne- Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption No, too. let's call it Next Dead Redemption, <laughs> because that's really what it is. Well, <laughs> fair enough. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I mean, they're touting the same thing current gen. I mean, it's a cool thing, but it... Ultimately, what it's going to come down to is story and gameplay. And why would I develop a bunch of AI interactive systems for characters that most people will never interact with? Well, that's that's a cu- current argument in gameplay, um, which we have a game on our list. A couple down. We can kind of go talk about it. We can bring it in and then come back. Hollow Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really wanted to point out Hollow Knight came to Switch. So, of course, I finally played it. Um <laughs> But Hollow Knight is, I'm about 80% done with the game. It's a masterpiece. It, it's big, too. Well, and, and part of the developers, when they were making the game, go exactly with the statement you just said. They made areas of the game, complete areas, bosses, powers, that are completely optional. Yeah. Lore. I mean, there's a whole uh, area. So the c- concept of the game is it's a Metroidvania game. You play as a little bug. It's like a bug universe. You're playing in this underground area where all the bugs have the civilization. It's run down, so it kind of has a Castlevania, Metroid feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still populated. But in the game, you meet like grub bugs, flies, mantises, all kinds of bugs. I don't know how to explain it other than that. They they all have their own sort of society and character animations. And there's a lot of deep lore that um, it doesn't spell out for you. You kind of have to piece together. And that's that's pretty much an earmark of indie games. I mean, they yeah. have the freedom to kind of do things like that. And so I, I've played Hollow Knight. We've talked about it previously. You did? Yeah. I played how the long? demo when it was, oh, it was right. released on that's Humble right. Bundle before it was actually finally released. And they've um, they've they've updated the game with four huge patches, uh, with completely new content, with completely new areas that again mm-hmm. are completely optional. And it doesn't. It's not like oh, we've added a new area. If you go over here, that's where that new area. You have to figure it out. So, but the ultimate question is: if you build an entire world and only all anybody ever sees is the front door and maybe the foyer of that world, why did you build an entire world? I think the point is 
is the satisfaction. So part of what the developers said was when they added these areas to the world, they were absolutely surprised how fast people found them. Hmm. Um, Cause they were expecting things to kind of develop. And, you know, it's sort of like the whole ARG mentality, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where it's there if people want to chase it, but it's really not required. But it, the, everybody thinks they're going to, take months to kind of uncover and people are finding it, you know, in isn't this days. the plot of ready player one? Maybe. Yeah, it is. Which is another part of why that's a completely unreasonable plot. But anyways, anyhow, so to go back to cyberpunk 27, seven, we yeah. went into a review of another game. Now we're coming. Well, back. no, that's fine. So again, so why do you, so that that's, we're so large with the internet. That's not, a, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. The internet allows for people to explain things left and right of how to get to everything. So now by building a world so large where Mm -hmm. people can experience it completely differently, um, Skyrim's a perfect example of that at the time it came out. But ironically, Skyrim is the smallest game in the series. Right. Landmass. Now what it is, is it's concentrated. It's focused. Right. There's lots of things to do. Right. In a very small space. Right. I mean, compared to like Daggerfall. Correct. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of the same thing with Cyberpunk 2077, but we've still, even though we got 43 minutes of gameplay, we basically got one mission. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So we still don't know how the whole thing evolves. How narratively driven is it? It's meant to be open world. You tell your own story, uh, which is different from The Witcher, where you're telling Geralt's story. Right. We'll have to see, I mean, how that all balances. Well, and is it coming out this gen or next gen? I think it'll be a bridge game. Because I really believe 2020 will be the year of the PS5 and the Xboner or whatever they call the second one. It's about three years is what playstation recently announced before yeah so i think 2020 is when we're going to be in full swing i think we'll get early announcements in 2019 but it'll be broadly available in christmas 2020 okay it's just to get a nice marketing number to it i did well okay let's just sum up the review of your impression of it you know were you I, i think it was a positive first impression okay uh but it's not enough to make me if i were somebody who were on the fence go, oh my god, I have to have this day one. I think it's just kind of more the same from a gameplay perspective in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's, you know, The Witcher was third-person combat, like, weapon. And this is sort of an FPS sort of dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of much again, more... We've, we've seen that, so... Much more first-person feel. Yeah. So, a game you want to talk about, because you definitely added it here so we could talk about well, it. Well, here's the thing. We've talked about one jammers on this show before. Yes. And we've talked about maybe a competition I was involved with where I failed miserably <laughs> at the original Windjammers. But he was the one who insisted it be in the competition. First off, Windjammers is a really good game. It's, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a Neo Geo game. It's one of those hidden gems. It's sort of it's esports before esports was invented. Man, you sold me on it like three years ago. Keep going. I know. But here's the thing. So they announced that it was coming to Switch. Okay. Fine. Great. Everything's coming to Switch. Everything's coming to Switch. Switch as is the it, new black. As it should. But here's the mm, other thing they I announced. Don't know. I don't agree with that. Um, here's the Did other you thing. Just shush me? <laughs> is this the dynamic we have now? <laughs> I see. Okay. Uh, keep going. Here's the other thing. They announced Windjammers 2. Yes. Why? 
Why is this the thing? It's new. It's so ultimately the people that ported Windjammers, uh, .emu, French developers, um, when they ported it, they, they were huge fans of when it's Windjammers is huge, huge, huge in France. I don't know why. So it's like David Hasselhoff in Germany. Yes. Windjammers is the David Hasselhoff of France. Um, so they were huge fans of the original, when they ported it, they were able to take all the code and kind of understand its underworkings. And they decided, hey, we've got the license. Let's make a new one. So are they just making new So it's arenas? not, it's not it... pixel-based. It's cell-shaded 2D. Okay, so they're, um, they're going to be taking advantage of widescreen aspect ratio. Does it have parallax scrolling? I'm sure it will. Um, and I think there's new super moves. They'll probably add a new mechanic if I were to guess. Yeah. Um, when's it supposed to be out next year? Okay, good. We'll talk about it then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kind of like wind jammers too, but no, I, I'm, I'm not surprised actually. It, it's very popular. It's got a kind of a cult following. I, I recommend it when it comes out to switch, everybody check it out. It's a local multiplayer game. It's perfect. Anyhow, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Well, that's good, Jared. Yeah. Why are you feeling good? Because we're in a nice area where you and I don't have to talk about superhero films. No, there aren't any coming out until February. Well, I think Aquaman's coming out, but yeah. That's not really a superhero film. That's about a guy who talks to fishes. He just understands fish language. He doesn't he doesn't talk to them. Uh, okay, isn't that part of the trailer? <laughs> So, yeah, surprisingly, we don't have any superhero films. Not really. It's okay. But. I think we're all a little tapped out after Avengers and uh, Ant-Man, which was the huge blockbuster of the season. Yeah, nobody's really talking about that anymore. It kind of just came and went. But, um, so DC has a streaming Yes, it does. Now. It does. And there's a little show on it called Titans. Are you okay. familiar with this? I unfortunately am. So we're not getting superheroes in film, so we're going to get TV superheroes now. Which, Arrowverse aside, DC is promoting their own streaming network, which I want to talk about that a little bit. And they're going to have Batman the Animated Series. I think we talked about this. It does have. Say. It actually has. It's it, all live. It's, yeah, it's out now. It, it, it's got comics. It's got the Justice League Justice League Unlimited, Young Justice, the old Fox Batman shows Beyond, and comic, comic uh, a lot of Network. stuff that is pretty good, and a lot of the animated movies as well. But their headline to sell the streaming network is new content. Is new content, and yep. that is Titans. That's the first of the new content. It's the headliner to sell it to get people to adopt it. So, as a preface before we started recording today because I subscribe to the DC universe because Sean loves DC. I'm, I'm not even sure how to respond to that. Uh, I, I have a conflicted lifelong relationship with DC comics. I really do. Uh, and, and I'm a big Marvel fan too. It's, it's, but it's your relationship, but my relationship with Nintendo, very similar, I guess. Yeah. Um, which is ironic because for decades I was Marvel only and didn't read a lot of DC. But DC's where I started. And ironically, because I'm saying ironic like five times in this sentence. Ironically, you are. (laughs) 
New Teen Titans, the nineteen eighty series with you know George Perez and Marv Wolfman, uh, was the first comic book I ever really collected slash read. And that was before I collected X-Men and Legion of Superheroes, which were my other two. So I was into team books when I was a kid, right? Because you get your bang for your buck. You get a bunch of characters and there's all these different stories and it's fun. But in sixth grade, my best friend, Mark Butler, and I went to the Scholastic Book Fair. I remember. And at the Scholastic Book Book Fair, Fair, they didn't have graphic novels like we have them today. These were like paperbacks with reduced black and white copies of a series of comics. And the first one I bought was the first 14 issues of new teen Titans. And so the sixth grade, so this would have been around 1984. Thriller was big at the time. And so this was four years after it started because the series started in 1980. And so this was my first run and my exposure because it was Robin and, you know, um, Kid Flash, who were characters that I identified with as a sixth grader. And all of the characters, and it was a very adult comic, actually, for the time, considering the characters that were in it, right? This was a more mature take on the, the, the Teen Titans characters that had been around in the 60s and everybody's sidekicks. So I think what DC tried to do with this series, this live action series which had originally been picked up at TNT for network broadcast before networks failed right cable networks and it was recently picked up again by the you know the DC universe for production was to kind of update this concept and have the key characters and before we started to record this I sat down with Jared and I said okay Jared we're going to talk about this and I'm going to I'm just going to log into the app and we're going to watch the episode and I'm going and then we'll talk about it on the podcast. We're not going to talk about the episode while you're watching it. I <laughs> failed at that miserably. Yeah. Sean's like, pause it, pause it. No. What the heck? Why? No, stop. Now I didn't go into this with an overly negative expectation. I did. And because when they I didn't sh- come out of it with an overly positive expectation. When they showed off the trailer for this, and the the very famous thing, and I, I don't if you haven't seen this, this is pretty much what happened. Put the spoiler warning in. Yeah, we'll we'll put the spoilers. We're gonna spoil something. That's still creepy to hear. <laughs> so, ahead. so the trailer framed it around. Uh, if you're familiar with the titans and i think this is that's the original team i could be wrong that raven was part of the original team raven created the the right. second team which okay. is the 80s team the first right. team was not raven was not part of that okay. well the team that everybody thinks yeah is the original team. starfire and raven were brand new characters okay. who'd never been anywhere else prior to that comic the, book. the trailer emphasizes on dick grayson as robin and raven. detroit police detective right. dick grayson and there's a scene, the, the biggest highlight of the trailer is there's a scene where Robin's in a dark alley with a bunch of mobsters, traditional Batman cliche, and he jumps down to interrupt their drug mob deal, deal drug yeah. deal. And all the mobsters like look up like, oh shit, where's Batman? And in the trailer, Robin says right after they say that, Fuck Batman. Sorry for my language, listeners. 
says, fuck Batman. And you're like, whoa, he's edgelord Robin. Which, first off, I have problems with, <laughs> with, with that. And I'm not even as a hardcore fan as Sean, but Dick Grayson, yes, he had... He had disagreements with Batman, he quit. which led him to be Nightwing and all of that. And, but that's not Dick. <laughs> no, he's not Edge Lord. Um, so that was that was the trailer for Titans. That's how they. That was the last line. That's what happened, and it was like Titans coming to DC Universe. So. I wasn't impressed with the trailer when it came out. So I watched the show with Sean today, the first episode. Now, not only was that not how that scene exactly went down. First off, he, <laughs> he beat up everybody as soon as he landed. And then after everybody was incapacitated, then, then did he say, fuck Batman? They didn't hear. Okay, whatever. Now here's the <laughs> other thing is Robin is a detective or I'm sorry, Dick is a detective for the Detroit police force. He's moved from Gotham to Detroit. Why did he move to, to Detroit? Didn't because he had a, a falling out with his partner. Yeah, and, and he said something very specific that makes this crystallizes some of the problems with this show. So he said that he had a falling out with his partner because his partner, he you know, he believed him in the beginning and, and he, he was behind him, but ultimately his partner decided to solve everything with his fist. Now, s- s- another spoiler alert here. He's not talking about his police partner. He's talking about he's talking about Batman because he knew he's Robin. Anyhow, <laughs> um, but he says he d- solved everything with his fists. Now let's rewind because that state- this is comes after this comes after the scene where you see Robin drop down. He beats up all these thugs brutally, brutally assault like. Turns a knife in somebody's leg, takes somebody's face and smears it across brick, and you see blood. It's not how faces or blood work, but he 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 drags their face across the brick wall, and he throws all of the Robin stars. I don't know what they're not batterings, but they're they like shuriken. But we all but know shurikens aren't real weapons. They're ours. Yeah, they're little. And R's. so theoretically, let's see. That's one point in the end of the R. One, two. There's only three points on an R. Yeah. Which that's not very efficient. And a hole in the middle, which isn't it's not a balanced it doesn't, weapon. It either. doesn't seem it doesn't seem balanced, but Yeah. So after he beats it, you know, he just And he does go to town. I mean to the point where there's blood on his face. But like he splattered. had disagreements with his partner because he just solved everything with his fists. And and through the rest <laughs> of the episode you continuously see scenes where Dick Grayson solves every problem with his fists. He doesn't talk to people. He doesn't have conversation. He doesn't detect. And by the way, he's like a 24-year-old senior detective. He looks like he's 20 in the show. But yeah, he's supposed to be like in his mid-20s. Yeah, and he's been Robin for a while. And they make a throwaway comment that Robin has been gone for a year. And everybody just thinks Robin's dead. And because he's in Detroit, he has this scene in the Detroit cops shop, right? Where he works as a detective. And it's all these other... Well, and I'll just put this on the table. Black detectives, and he's the only... Well, there's two white detectives, and that's Robin and his partner. And they're all talking about how wherever masks go, it just creates crazy people. And they don't want them in Detroit. And later on, you see a TV 
uh, news segment where it says, Robin go away, says Detroit mayor, because they don't want masked vigilantes in Detroit. And just the, the whole tone for this, and that's just Robin, right? Robin is the easiest character in the show to get right. Mm-hmm. And they don't. Mm-hmm. Now, not only, and I had to point this out, uh, you know, they're, like Sean was mentioning, you know, they say Robin's been gone for a year and now he's back and he's here in Detroit. First off, Robin, or I'm sorry, Dick, just showed up at the Detroit <laughs> Police Force. Yeah. He's only been working like a week. And it's like, oh, he's a, a white guy with black or brown hair. And oh, we just had this detective start with white, you know, he's waiting with brown hair. <laughs> and he keeps asking questions about who's tracking down this Robin case. <laughs> he's like asked it's, four different people this question. <laughs> well, and so the, the main intro into the show really is around Raven. Right. Sorry, Rachel. Well, Rachel is the name of Raven in the comics now. That's a retcon. It's been going on for a little while. Marv Wolfman actually writes the Raven limited series and the ongoing solo series. Don't you think if they were going to rename a character, and this is, and you brought this up with the other two characters, it could be something that wasn't with half the same letters as <laughs> their superhero, superhero alter ego. Yeah. It's like Rachel. Raven, rah, rah, rah. And Rachel Roth is Raven. Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of alliteration. It's comic books. Alliteration is part of the technique they've used since the beginning of comic books. But so she's a teenage girl that everybody hates. And her introductory scene is supposed to set up this kind of horror show thing. And then there's a scene on a bus to show that she's not liked by the kids she goes to school with in Traverse City, Michigan, um, which happens to be pretty close to Detroit, by the way. Uh, and there's a scene where a bully named... What's the name of the bully? Was it Mark? No, it's your favorite person, Kyle. Oh, yeah. Anybody with the name of Kyle is just a bully. I so just... Kyle is like calling her names and messing with her on the bus the bu- and then the irony of this, I'll get to this in a second. This is a public school bus with a bunch of high school kids on it. And the you know star football player says, don't mess with her, leave her alone, and gets up and comes back to the seat where, the, where Kyle, the bully, is messing with Rachel. And Kyle just flat out decks him, right? No, no provocation other than, what are you going to make, make me go away, right? So not a traditional bully. He doesn't back down when the, the football jock comes back. He, he decks him. At which point, they get into a fight, and the bus driver goes, Hey, you kids, you better sit down. He's listened to this whole thing. <laughs> he saw this you know, fight break out on his bus, and the only thing he says is, You need to sit down. It comes down to, he doesn't want to have to deal with all the paperwork, okay? Well, okay, maybe. So then they cut to a scene inside the high school where, you know, Rachel is putting her books in her locker, the typical, you know, generic high school scene in the locker between classes. And she looks over and she sees this kid who had stood up for her and it has a huge shiner at this point. And she goes to thank him. And he just ignores her and walks on. And I'm like, okay, that sets the tone pretty well. Okay. I'm getting it. I know where we're going now. There's no reason to stay tied in on this one because the writing is bad. It's just, it's bad. 
And so she runs go back to home to tell her mom that she's sorry for yelling at her. Something bad happens to her mom. She becomes a runaway and an orphan, and she gets on a bus to go to Detroit because at the beginning of the show, she sees Dick Grayson lose his parents. In a dream. In a dream. And so she's going to go find him. All right. That's character number two. And we're spending a lot of time on this, aren't we? Character number three, Starfire. Would you like to talk about the Starfire problem? I don't don't want to. (laughs) So we find this woman. Corey Anders. Right. Um, Which, by the way, is the name she's used. It's set in Mystical Vienna. Mystical Vienna, yes. Um, South Vienna, not North Vienna. Yeah. Um, Where we find her waking up from a car crash. And she looks around, and you can tell she doesn't kind of know what's going on. And she gets out of the... She looks over. The driver has obviously like a head dead. wound. He's obviously dead. Yeah. Um. So she gets out of the car. There are bullet holes. Now she's surveying this for a couple minutes, looking around. Okay, there's bullet holes. It's like there was a car chase or something. Uh, where am I, you know? And then... Miles down the road, we see another high-speed vehicle approaching, um, which we're like, hmm, what is that? And then immediately, again, miles down the road. It's about a half a mile. Okay. Let's, it's Hyperbole. I get yeah, it. Yeah. Um, That's they, not me defending this, by the way. <laughs> That's they just... pull out their, their small machine guns and start firing. Start firing. Obviously not hitting anything because they're two miles away, as I stated. Um, you know, thus alerting, uh, Corey about their presence. Now, does she immediately run away? She's like, oh, they're shooting at me. Perhaps I should run away. She picks up her purse. She picks up her purse. And then she goes into the woods. She flees into the woods. Now, the way that Corey is depicted in this show is... Stripper or <laughs> lady of the night. I don't know how to PC put it, but her clothing is quite eccentric and her hair is starfire red. If I were to pick a color, it'd be starfire red. Um, I don't know if you look, if you go to Home Depot and you look in the paint section, there's, yeah, hmm. you know, you've got like brick red, starfire red, yeah, robin red. Um, <laughs> it's kind of dark um so she's got like a white jacket it's white right it's not white it's it's fur jacket it's a it's and then she's wearing like a blue dress it's purple bright bright purple it matches her in theory her colors her costumes so she flees to the woods in winter it's like this drab grayish. Every by the way, everything is dark and everything has a blue okay. tint. Yeah, no, I was gonna wait until we talked about that. Okay, go ahead. But let's finish up her yeah. introduction real quick. She flees through the forest. It's winter. There's no leaves. There's no coverage. She just hides behind a log, and the, woods. the mobsters walk past it. In and a then we file. immediately cut to her in a gas station. So I guess she got out. I don't know. She escaped because she's very subtly disguised. <laughs> and they never turned around. Apparently and we never they just see kept those walking. monsters. Well, we do see them again, but yeah. They just... Yeah, and they, and they do meet up with her later. Yeah. The same so monsters. No, we're going to address the dark thing. The joke with DC is, oh, it's edgy and dark. And, you know, DC movies like the, uh, the original Batman movies, mm-hmm. 
you know, had a tendency to be dark, to cut down on special effects and set design and everything. This show is abnormally dark. And I don't mean edgy and dark. <laughs> I mean, it is like visibly hard to see. So you need to talk about the hotel room scene. Which, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> well, I was going to get into, I don't have a nice 4K HD HDR TV. You do. Yeah. But I don't. So usually when I'm watching like dark scenes in a movie, they're kind of washed out a little bit. It's just, you know, whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I want a nice TV, but I don't have one. Even on my older TV, the scenes are incredibly dark. You can't see anything. So it's a scene in a hotel in daylight during the middle of the day where there's a window and it is, there's so much light coming through the window, but they're like, Hey, let's just make it silhouettes and turn it down dark. And all you can see is shadows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a scene in a forest where you couldn't see anything. I, there's some sort of movement. I don't know who it is. That could be Batman. Well, Batman does show up in one scene. His hand shows up on a shoulder. And it's actually Bruce Wayne's hand, not Batman's, but yeah. Anyhow, and then, sorry. oh, let's talk about the fourth member of our ensemble. Changingly. Beast Boy. Yes. And we, we have an image that we're going to link. <laughs> oh, yeah, I need to. I need by to the way, that. because. This is, yeah, this is. This, it, this is, is set in this Ohio, is, so this has a local connection. Covington, Ohio, which I looked up, it's a real place. Um, <laughs> sorry for anybody. It's not just a Covington, DC Universe Ohio. place? No. So we have to. This is. Sean and I have breakthrough news. Like, you are getting. On this podcast, this is important. This is, this is this is nobody else is reporting on this, but this is huge. So, the scene cuts to generic electronics store, like a Best Covington. Buy. No, it was more like a Circuit City. Yeah, if we're to be probably. honest, which doesn't exist. So imagine whisk your back, whisk back to the, to 1990s. the days of Circuit City. There's a security guard that works at this electronics store where they keep it on all of the TVs, even when the store is closed. Why? We don't know. Because it's visually interesting. Yeah. I'm sorry. So we hear disturbance and the security guard gets up and he takes his flashlight out. I mean, it's an overweight white guy security guard. Typical. Yeah. Typical. He's, he's Paul Blart. No, he's the security guard from Animaniacs. Oh, yeah. 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 Harold. Yeah. yeah. So he shines his spotlight and he shines to a rack of video games. And there's a lot of there's a lot of PS4 games, Switch games. Surprisingly, there's one PS3 game of Guitar Hero. Yeah, very strange. Just one. And then, here's the... here's Guys, you're not ready. So we had to freeze this we, because I wanted to make jokes about this when we were watching it. Yes. And I and we came upon a, a an amazing revelation. Yes. In the upper right, on the shelf of the PS4 games, was a copy of... Lego Marvel Super Heroes Avengers. You heard us right, guys. So the Avengers exist in the DC universe as a media property. In a world that has actual superheroes in it, the Avengers Marvel. are still there. Marvel and Disney is still... Oh, it's amazing. And, and yes. you know what? I wonder why this world is so dark when they have the Avengers to bring light to it. Yes, yes. Turn if they two. would just embrace the Marvel philosophy? Yeah. I... I think I don't think there's any other news outlet reporting on this, but and now let's talk about the important choice. So this is the introduction to Beast Boy. 
right? It was the it was the teaser for the you know it's the new Netflix model of every TV show is you have your forty minutes of plot and at the very end it's like we, thirty seconds of teaser we flash to something that may show up in a future episode and you're like what was that and then they don't address it in the next episode so yeah well and all and we haven't seen the second episode yet which is called Hawk and Dove but so you you see this guard and he follows like you know in typical movie view because the only thing anybody can see is through a camera right and he's got a flashlight and he slowly pans it across this trail of video games until he follows it down this hallway and he sees a green tiger chewing and pawing three or four video games before he pulls out a gun a loaded gun as all circuit city employees have and shoots at the tiger which then runs on as is standard protocol for all Circuit City employees. I believe it's in the handbook. <laughs> and so the tiger badly kind of scoots around a door and slides a little bit, which we're supposed to have some gravity in your CG, so that makes sense. And and then goes off and it breaks to the next scene. It cuts to the next scene where the you see the dark forests of Ohio. The dark northwestern forests of Ohio. <laughs> the the trees you can obviously tell that we have in southwestern Ohio. Yes. Uh, we don't, by the way. Uh, and he runs off into the darkness, and then he transforms like a werewolf. I would say more like the Hulk, but, I mean, as we've seen in the Avengers films, where, like, you know, the bones shift in, and he kind of... Yeah, and so it, werewolfish, but yeah. And, yeah. well, except that they do the traditional werewolf face transition. Yeah. And that's straight out of werewolf movies. Yeah. And, and again, it's Beast Boy, which every other depiction I've seen is he can turn from a dove to a gorilla in a matter of seconds. He pops. It's just like a bam. He's done. And the other thing is then he picks up this video. He's nude. He's got no clothes on. Yeah, he's in the middle of the forest. Yeah. He picks up a green video game case and smiles. And that's the end. Yep. He's a thief. He's what not just a thief. He's a naked thief who has a bad choice in infiltration shape-shifting. Yeah, why wouldn't you pick something that was a little more, like, stealthy? Or a monkey. Or a Where you could actually have hands. Yeah. Or, like, a lemur. Or something where you're small and you could do this without making a lot of noise. By the way, because you know why there's a big mess of games. What about a hippo? Because then you could put all the video games in your mouth and then just charge through the door. Okay, and and so this still leads us to the question of why is he stealing video games in the first place? Because he's a kid. Well, he is a teenager with green hair, not green skin. No, that'd be unreasonable. That'd be expensive to repaint him in every scene with green skin. It's no, you go into Adobe. Hey, After these Effects. are streaming budgets here, buddy. You go into Adobe After Effects <laughs> and you just shift the hue and then it's green. It's fine. As long as you have a chroma key set, right? Yeah. There's nothing else green in the scene. Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, yeah. So anyhow, this is, a, we need to speed up. So this is our first impression of Titans, not Teen Titans. Let's be explicitly there are, clear. Yeah. There's no teen in this. They are the Titans. And I told John, my only expectation with this show, my only hope, my only this is the make or break deal is if the end of the season, which is only 10 episodes, if they don't end up in a giant T-shaped tower as a superhero team, it's done with me. Deal broken. Well, they got to get to San Francisco from Detroit somehow. <sighs> but luckily, Covington, Ohio is not too far from Detroit. It is not. It's adjacent. North, I mean, it's Northwest De- Ohio. It's, it's, yeah, it's Dayton proximity. Yeah. You know, so anyway. Anyhow, we need to move on. But that's that's... 
I will. But this is endemic of the problem with the streaming services yes, yes, in yes, and yes. of themselves. So, w- this is the we talked about streaming episodes as our main topic, I think, a while ago. Um, but here's the other thing: there, everybody's, everybody's. I, we have a streaming network. Uh, if you guys didn't know, it's the Signs Cosine Streaming Network. We're gonna have other things on here. It's just Sean um, arguing at a TV for three hours. It, so it's fun can, to watch. You can download it. Um, but anyhow. The counterpoints are especially cogent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So CBS is has announced not only do they have Discovery, not only do they have the Star short Trek takes. anthology show that's yeah the short Picard's takes. coming back for a Picard centric TV Star Which, Trek show. When they announced it, they didn't have any scripts. They just paid lots of money to Patrick Stewart to come back. Which hey, that's okay. All of us are excited, right? Now here's the part where I know you're not going to be happy. It's, there's going to be a Disney streaming network, and one of their headliners is a, a new live-action Star Wars uh, show. The Mandalorians. The Mandalorians. Uh, John the Mandalorian, F- like the gunslinger. John Favreau has yeah. got a $100 million budget for this show. Yeah. It's set in between uh, episodes six and seven. Okay. Um, I don't hate that idea. Well, I know you had an issue with the retcon in the. Clone oh, I don't Wars. like what they've done with the Mandalorians yeah. as a result of. So anyhow, Rebels, we've got like eighty streaming networks, Rebels. all centralized to. Do you like Star Wars? Do you like Star Trek? Do you like DC? Marvel's gonna, I guess, just get into the Disney streaming network. Well, at some it's point. Marvel Star Wars. Yeah, and, and yeah. Nintendo's going to start one, and then we're going to have a Splatoon show or something, and then we're going to have... I mean, Pokemon's going to... Pokemon already has a streaming network. It's called Twitch. Yeah. <laughs> Currently, po- anyway. Twitch plays Pokemon. No, so, no. So, they show all the Pokemon episodes on Twitch. Did you not know that? They're all on Twitch? Always on. They've been walking through every season of Pokemon. They do that with all the shows. I'm saying... But it's been going on for like three months. Well, there's a thousand hundred shows of Pokemon that lasts for like... It's been... And the movies on the weekends. There's like two seasons per year. Um, (laughs) All right. But anyhow, the point is... This is not sustainable. No, but they don't care. They're going to get the money when they can, and then they'll merge. So They'll, They'll merge down. That's what's going to happen. So DC's going to merge into Verve or something? Or probably not. DC might have the power to stay alive if they merge with a bigger Warner Brothers platform and they leverage only Warner Brothers movies and Warner Brothers TV shows. Right. Not just superhero stuff. Again, I it's it might even mean something you might even call like flicks you can watch on the net. Mhm, mhm, mhm. I don't know. Silly concept. Hulu. Yes, Hulu. <laughs> well, and there's the other thing. So companies like Warner Brothers and A- I mean ABC is Disney, right? ABC and NBC have large stakes, and CBS also, I believe, have large stakes in Hulu. I think I think ABC has majority ownership on Hulu now. So there's a lot of thought that the the Marvel Disney is going to be a spinoff, but that Hulu will basically start to be the premier place to find any of that. Disney backed stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it's all at least a year or two away well, because of all the deals they've already the made. Here's the question that I have for our listeners. How many streaming networks are you signed up to? Are you still subscribing to traditional TV or cable? How many podcasts do you listen to? We'll go ahead and check you down for signs, cosines, and tangents. And, On a very regular basis, I might say. Yeah. And, you know, 
how much money are you paying for internet and all these streaming services? Because it. So this brings to light one question. Yes. Is this the great diaspora of cable where we all asked for ad hoc and now we get it? I think, I think in our own way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's be careful what you wish for. And this is what we got. Yeah. And you have PlayStation views and the sling TVs and all this other stuff. It just doesn't, it just seems worse, but that's my opinion. That is. And it's not a bad one. So we got to, we got to clean up these tangents, Sean. So yeah, I think we should out. drop some of these and just move to our topic soon. But let's, let's just do, I, I want to save, we were going to talk about Spider-Man PS4. I think we need to save that for the next episode. We can save that one. Cause that's, that that's one. a long conversation for me. Yeah, and I need to play some more. And I would say Dead Cells, which is the other one we had in the list. We dropped that one. Okay. Now, do I have to give you time to talk about Smash, or do you want to move that as well? Let's just get it over with. I can go quick. Rip off the Band-Aid. Rip off the Band-Aid, and we can don't have to talk all about it. All right, it's all time. you. So, first off, you should be pretty happy about this. I am. That we're going to get this over fast? Actually, the two items you're going to talk about, the first two items, I'm very happy about. Simon Belmont and Richter Belmont are coming to Smash Brothers. I can't think of a... a I was trying to go through of the old... We NES made a games. joke about this. We did? Yeah. What did we make? A few episodes back where we were talking about who would we want in Smash, and we both said Simon. I don't think we said Richter, but we both said Simon. I think Richter's an added bonus. You know, you kind of get it some more representation. But if there was a s- series we would want to see added, it would be Castlevania. It's, it's so classic. It's so tied to Nintendo, even though they, you know, after the... It's platform Symphony independent the at night this point. Kind yeah. of went off, but yeah. Um, if they still made classic games? series, I mean, with Mega Man and out there with um, everything else, Simon is a perfect choice. Yep. Um, we got Dark Samus from Metroid Prime. Awesome. As an Echo. Now, fighter. is this a Shadow Fighter or is this a full Echo character fighter. with? Or so Echo, Echo fighter? Fighters are clone characters, but with a they're still slightly altered. Slightly altered move sets. Yeah essentially the same, but maybe it's more powerful or slower, or faster or whatever, yeah. but different buffs and debuffs. And then we got something true to my heart, which I don't think Sean understands my love or appreciation. We got King K rule. Now, if you're not a fan of Donkey Kong, I was going to say Donkey Kong country. If you're not a fan of that series, you're not going to know who he is, but he is. Okay. So Mario's got a giant lizard creature that he fights. And Donkey Kong has a giant lizard creature that he fights. Which is why they're friends. Which is why they're best buds. Unless it's a versus game when they're not best buds anymore. But this is awesome because this what this means is this is fan appreciation for who they went in Smash. If you remember with Smash Wii U, they had a poll. Mm-hmm. They announced, you know, hey, tell us who you want. We'll put them in the game. We got Cloud and Bayonetta. We got Bayonetta, which was like... You know, it was like, well, this was the most achievable person, which means they already decided they're going to put Bayonetta. In the game. But, um, <laughs> and it coincided with the release of Bayonetta 2, right. which was Nintendo published. Right. So this this is a real kind of deep cut. I don't this, King K. Rule is not a character that I expect the majority of people that come to Smash to say like, oh, it's it's that guy. So, so is he an echo fighter for Bowser? He is a straight up new fighter with all of his moves based on the Donkey Kong Country games. Okay, so. cool. Let's move on. Let's move on to our main theme, our main topic. I don't remember how to do this anymore. Yeah. 
Okay, so with that introduction, it sounds very epic, but really that's that's music from a game we're going to talk about here in a minute. You'll notice my energy levels dropped a little bit as we're talking here. Um, the topic of this episode really is about using games as a means to process what's going on in your life. And I'm sharing this with the audience and, and those of you who personally know me uh, know that there's been some upheaval in my personal life in the last few months. Uh, good, bad, you know, just kind of stressful. And so that got me to thinking. And this is a topic Jared and I have talked a number of times about over the years, which is, you know, can games help us get through dark times? Uh, this year I experienced the loss of my father, uh, my father-in-law, um, my oldest daughter had complications with her pregnancy that has yielded my you know, granddaughter being born uh, very prematurely. And so there's a lot of those stresses kind of going on in my life. And that's led to a gap in some of our recording because the priorities had to be shifted. But again, I, I thought this was a good time to kind of address a topic that has come up a few times in the media, but we really don't talk about, which is that you know, and it's not just video games. There's there's always a way to get through grief and a way to get through depression. And often it is drawing strength from our friends or our families. And, you know, sometimes it's looking for something outside ourselves. And in this context, you know, I thought we would take some time and just kind of share some of those mechanisms that you know, Jared and I have used in our life. And, and I'll let Jared talk a little about what his impact and, and why he thinks this is an important subject as well. But we're going to walk through some comments around both the good and bad side of looking at something external like video games to help you process the stuff that's happening in your life that you maybe have no control over and that is not necessarily helping you. So, I mean, Jared, do you want to share anything about, you know, your experiences in doing this? So, depression is something that I deal with. And a lot of people think depression means you're sad all the time. I think it's a side effect that people associate with coping. and mm -hmm. But depression to me isn't always, I'm not always sad. Um, depression for me is when... I hear random things and no, um, it's for me, it's when I'm video games, for example, it's when I'm playing video games and I'm not getting enjoyment out of them. I'm kind of just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. so the normal things that I approach with that I like, but I'm not getting any enjoyment out of. And I think it's, you know, that's kind of like, it's, it's hard to explain to people. It's like, well, what do you do for fun? And it's like, you're not getting fun out of something that you normally get fun out of. And it's kind of hard to kind of break out of that cycle. But, um, you know, we wanted to talk about kind of how some games can kind of help with that. Um, one game in particular that I wanted to bring up, and I think Sean has some examples as well, um, was Celeste. Mm -hmm. we, did we bring this up in a pre I think we, we have, we talked a lot about it in a previous episode, so, but it, it's, it's appropriate to review. Yeah. So Celeste is a, it's a 2d platformer and it's hard like a super meat boy. 
And if you want to look at it from that lens, that's fine. But one thing it does incredibly different than Super Meat Boy is the narrative around the game. The uh, character in the game, her name's Madeline. And she just decides one day she's going to climb Mount Celeste. She's like, I just need something. She needs a change. She needs to do something to kind of break out on her her shell. Um, And she decides to do this kind of, I don't know, what do you call that? When somebody just kind of goes on a journey, just a walkabout. So yeah, walkabout or a journey of discovery. Right. I think it's the way to approach it. So she goes and she has lots of doubts of whether she can do this. And the, 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 the game's opening scene, you're walking and the bridge you're walking on sort of collapses and you jump the last second. Um, you dash and that's the main mechanic of the game. So you finish that intro level and the words that the game gives you is you can do this. Yeah. Kind of like have faith in yourself, put yourself. So the game eventually breaks out and you find out there's a darker inner part of your game or I'm sorry, a darker inner part of your character. That's sort of like the manifestation of all of your self doubt, the kind of, some, in some ways, it's the way that we hold ourselves back. Um, it's, a, it's a defense mechanism, mm-hmm. right? Change is scary. Anxiety is scary. Um, and so eventually the ending of the game is you learn that that part of you isn't the enemy. That part of you exists out of sort of necessity as a defense mechanism. And it's learning how to understand and realize when that part of you is manifesting yeah, and to move forward. So I've heard a term often over the years and, you know, I, I've done a lot of reading about human decision-making and how we make choices in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I did that academically is largely because I try to understand when I was on the career path to become a game designer, right? I wanted to understand how do human beings make decisions. Right. And and there's a few really interesting books out there. One of one one of which I was talking to someone recently about and and I haven't read through it, but I've I've kind of skimmed. Um and it talks about this idea um of thinking fast and thinking slow. Yeah. And the idea with thinking fast is that's kind of our instinctual response to something. Right. And and that's the emotional side of how we respond to things. Correct. And if we can shift our, our ways of making decisions into thinking slow, that's where we get into analysis. And that's where we process what's going on around us because and, we're not in a fight or flight kind of situation. Right. And I mean, an example of why people have anxiety is because they're presented with a decision or a situation where they have to react and they don't have that time to it's again, it's unfamiliar and mm-hmm. they it's, it's basically, you know, it's like you said, it's just that reactionary emotional response. And then it's, so you can break it. It's like, why am I having this emotional response to something? And in, in many cases when somebody is undergoing depression, anxiety, grieving. And and when I say the term processing is appropriate, it really is, right? In any of these situations, moving your thinking from that instinctive, responsive, immediate snap judgment, you got to get yourself and, and we evolved this way, right? We had to keep ourselves alive 
when we were in the middle of the Sierra or Sahara or wherever, you know, we were on the veldt trying to not get right. eaten by tigers or it's, lions. Yeah, it's a survival, you know, instinct. and or whatever predator we were facing, even if it was other people. And so we evolved this instinctive reaction to do something. And when we have time to actually kind of sit back when there's not an immediate risk to our lives, there are a lot of people in the world who can't really figure out how to integrate the decision that needs to be made. And I guess some of this is pop psychology and and neither Jared nor I are grief counselors or we're just people who've experienced these issues. Right. And so I thought it would be important. I mean, we don't talk. There's a lot of of empty propaganda in the media. About mental health. About mental health. Right. And, but we don't actually talk about it. It's stigmatized even to talk about. And, 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 and we don't talk about, about it beyond, oh, they need help or they need to go see a, a lot of empty platitudes. Right. Right. And not, not from a position of sympathy. And here's the reality that, that there's people all around all of us every day, people we think are probably fine. And all of us are struggling with something. Right. There may be one or two people in your life that are just, everything is awesome and they don't have these challenges. But most of us go through this at some point in our lives. You know, with the loss of my father this year, it kind of, that wasn't a surprise, right? We we knew things were going that direction. We didn't know when. But I had seen him uh, three times in the last year where I had driven down to visit him and he'd been in and out of the hospital. And, and, and the first time I saw him, there was this man that I was used to having this strong mental image of. And my dad was not a big, strong guy. He was fairly thin. You know, he, he smoked and he drank coffee like it was water. And he, I mean, he was a news photographer for 35 years. You know, he grew up in high stress. He was a Vietnam veteran with PTSD. They were all of these factors that made this very complicated relationship I had with my father. But the first time I saw him when I went down there and and all of a sudden he's just a tenth of the man that I remember physically. And he's frail and he's basically, you know, a skeleton. And, you know, he'd never once reached out and said, hey, I need help. He never once said, this is where things are going. I, I didn't I didn't process that well, right? And it brought back kind of a memory of another tragic event that happened in my family a few years ago, which is I lost a nephew to suicide. And it was on Valentine's Day. And, you know, that completely threw our extended family into this questioning because this was the youngest of one of my brother's sons and he seemed to be okay. He had struggled through some things with his, you know, his family life and his personal life. And we thought everything was coming out the other end. And then this was the result. And at the time, you know, when something like this happens to you, the first thing you do is you, most of us anyways, at least I do, I guess I shouldn't speak for anybody else. You pull the people around you that support you and need your support together and and you get through it. And that's the means by which a lot of us process events we can't understand, at least initially. 
The other thing that I found myself doing, and, and I, I, I was doing it then, and I'm doing it now, and I continue to do it when I get into these situations, is sometimes I need to just not think about the things in my life that are happening that are causing me this angst, stress, anxiety, whatever it turns into. Because all of these events eventually manifest themselves in a different way. I'm not the type of person at this point in my life who gets clinically depressed, right? It's just, it's not something I do. I can get you know, lethargic. I can, I can lose interest in things that I like for a while, but I don't really show depression. Well, again, as I stated before, I think it manifests in different ways. So, yeah. you know, what we think of it, I, you know, it, it differs, but. I tend to become more motivated when I get into that mode. Right. I, I pull myself out of it. And, you know, we all have lots of pressures around us. And this is not saying I'm a Superman and, you know, I don't deal with this. It's, it's He's not, guys. There's different things that trigger each of us. And in knowing when those things trigger, we're responsible for ourselves. And our friends, even some of our best friends, may not see what's going on with us. And many of us, like I said, don't share this with other people. I, mean, I think it's natural for people to shield people from it too. Yeah. Where Everybody kind of, has things going on. You kind of go in with the smile on your face and, Hey, how's it going? You know, hunky dory. You don't. And I also think there's an element of society, at least American society. And I don't know if it's true internationally or not, mm-hmm. where we ask, how is somebody doing? Say hey, good. And we don't want the answer. Right. Absolutely. It's a, it's an empty, that is, that is something that's always bothered about me. I do not, I personally hate small talk. It's, it's yeah. But that, that exchange of, Hey Sean, how's it going? Good. How are you? Well, and the what funny it, thing what is, what happened there? That's hello. That's yeah. all it is. Well, and the, and the thing that people who've known me for any period of time, if I'm in a situation where I'm not feeling good or there's something not going right, I say, well, you know, things aren't always great, which I've heard all through my life. Yeah. Of people going, well, I don't want to hear that. Why are you telling me that? Well, why did you ask? But they're not asking. So that's that's the issue. Yeah. And, and we're, we're kind of devolving a little bit here. But one of the things I wanted to really talk about. So I'm going through these. The One of the ways I cope. Even when I don't enjoy playing games, I sometimes need the release of disconnection. Mm-hmm. And for me, and the way that I do it, it I don't think it's unhealthy. Right. And we'll talk about the unhealthy side effects if you do this, but sometimes it's okay to just disengage from the world around you. I think sometimes people need that. And everybody has their own coping mechanisms. That's one of mine. It's not that I ignore my friends or family or my obligations. It's look, I need some time to just take a step back and not have the consequences of these events or my actions or whatever's put me in that state to be the thing I'm thinking about. Right. And I think that there can be a very therapeutic mechanism here. Again, not a licensed psychotherapist in distracting or, or kind of doing secondary thinking, right? Your brain is processing. Well, I think what you're talking to getting is is what i call getting stuck in your own head mm-hmm. right 
I mean, that's really kind of what we're talking about, where you get into what we would call in a technical term, logic loops, and Log- you kind of yeah. you kind of get into just this repeating cycle of thought where you're not really pushing forward your thoughts or your process of the, you know, that old cliched saying that's not true, but the intent is true. Time heals all wounds. First off, time doesn't heal wounds. <laughs> but what time does is, again, it kind of lessens. Well, it gives you distance. It gives you distance. Yeah. It, it, it gives you, you've integrated you know, in the term of loss, you've integrated that loss into your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're essentially saying, if I'm extracting what you're, you're saying here is sometimes you've, you've got to just uh, suspend. You're, you're not, you're not making forward movement in your thought process or your, your grief or your coping. You're, right. So you kind of have to just distance yourself and do something else. Where you're a lot of, you know, this is something I, I tried for a while and I, I need to get back. If you, if you didn't hear that, that's the sound of my gut, but, <laughs> um, you know, something that is pretty well proven is exercise because yes. Wh- so this what, goes to a what, point that's actually later on. Is on that the in list. there? So bullet number three on the show notes you'll see is not all stress is bad stress. Right. And that's where that's going to, it yeah. just is sometimes getting outside yourself. Right. Yeah. So I'm a cyclist. And we've talked about it a few times on the show yeah. where, you know, I, I jokingly call cycling and I inherited this from my older brother who drug me back into the sport after mm-hmm. years going to church. Right. Because I can get on my bike and I can go out there in a safe place where I can enjoy in nature. I'm not thinking about what's going on on my phone. I'm not thinking about what's going on in my life. Well, and again, if, if I want to, I'm a technical guy, so if I have to relate this to to a technical analogy, mm-hmm. your processes that are running in your brain, we were thinking like Windows, you're moving all those <laughs> thought, you're, you're putting all of your resources more into what you're doing. Well, I'm pushing um, a pedal, which is yeah. physical effort. Right. And but so you also have to be aware of where you are, your navigation, you're, you're using a lot of more of your stimuli, mm-hmm. you're putting a lot of more focus on your where you are right now. Instead um, of what I could be doing or what has happened. Right. And that's that's also a, 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 a method of meditation in general is to kind of center yourself and only process what's happening currently. So you're probably wondering at this point in the conversation why we keep talking about self-help stuff and we're not really talking about games. But where we're driving at... I was, I was wondering where we're going to, but... Where we're driving at is being able to release that control and focus on something else, right? So playing a really hard video game is stressful, but it forces your brain to flip from thinking about your problems to trying to solve a problem in that game that you're playing. Right. Additionally, here's the thing that games teach us. Life is not something we control. Well, and games follow rules. Something, something that you've said, and and something that I try to integrate is, is you can't control everything, but there's one thing you can control: you, how you react, how you react to a situation. Right. Yes, with enough training, it becomes automatic. But right. when you, if you calm yourself down in a stressful situation or a crisis, and this is what we teach people in combat, this is what we teach people in crisis. 
it's you have an immediate reaction to get you out of the stress. And then once you have the distance and you can think about it, you need to calm yourself down and cognitively control your response. Video games allow us to do that in many ways, right? But we can, we can do it with controls. Games have rules. We can figure out the rules of a game. And we can control our actions, hopefully, to get the right result. Our lives often don't feel like that. And when you're in a state of crisis, when you're overwhelmed because you've lost somebody important or you've, you've come to realize that you're kind of in a state of depression um, or anxiety, giving yourself that certainty, that control over what the output of your reactions right. is. That's, that's one proven trait of video games. That's why people go back to video games. It's, it's, it's introducing agency of the world where you're not, a lot of people say, what do they say um, with video games? You're, um, uh, what's the word that they always say? Um, give me enough context to help you. They use it as a, they use it in the, the, the term as a negative trait. Is it, it's not distancing. You're getting lost. Um, Disconnected or yeah. disassociated. Yeah. It's like, they use it as like, you're, you know, especially with like first person games. It's like they're, they're, they're getting lo- disassociated from reality when mm-hmm. in, when in fact that's not it's sort of how your brain processes with dreams it's sort of taking the information you're putting it into a game where you have like you said controlled inputs and outputs you have were you looking at me weird no i'm not okay i interpreted it i'm processing what you're saying but the idea is you have control in the world you have you have you have some element of agency but and and the world reacts around you where you can feel like you had an impact on what you yes. did in a negative or po- mo- most likely positive light where, you know, we play superhero games, not to pretend that we're Spider-Man, which we'll talk about that next episode, but we do it because we do something to have a positive impact in the game and see the outcome of that positive impact. Because sometimes in our real lives, we try to choices. do things positively and we don't see the impact. And sometimes yeah. when I say something or do something nice for somebody, they don't always react the way that you expect them to do. Because again, they were, <laughs> the world is a very gray and there's a lot of other things that all impact us. Mm-hmm. Um, the world is not as simple as comic book and superheroes. And, you know, a, a, a lot of people talk about, superheroes and it's our new mythology right absolutely it's um, how we process the great bigger world right right it's it's not that we want nobody wants to see superheroes in real life because that would just be, that would be messy it'd be messy <laughs> but we do it because it it kind of gets down to core values in a way right we talk about killing people is bad mm-hmm. where the world is much simpler to process in a fictional or video game world. Whereas, you know, a a superhero in the modern day world would have a whole lot of legal bureaucracy. And I know I'm kind of tangentially. And there'd be secondary repercussions for things like weather control systems. And yeah, I mean, we wouldn't want to think about that. So anyhow, what you're saying is again, you're kind of 
giving yourself agency, reducing the variables and yes. So there's a second piece to the game thing. And, and this is a fairly new part of video games, right? And, and I say fairly new in that it's really only been technologically present for about 30 years. Games as a means of anonymity and social interaction. All right. So there's the old guy idea that people would go into bars when they were having a bad time and they would just talk to a bartender. Tell the bartender their problems, offload on somebody who's a stranger, and sometimes get some perspective, sometimes not. Right? Yeah. Somebody that's not invested in you, doesn't feel tied to you as a person, you could go in and... Or may not even know who or where you are, what you, you are. You could go in and say, this is my situation, and they're going to be like, you're an asshole, obviously, from the way you told me the story. Or, you know, again, it's... A- or maybe, you know, I've had something similar, here's how I processed it. Yeah. So there's there's a power in the anonymity of games now. Now, we more often see it used negatively, in my to opinion. To bully or stress or harass. But if you find the right outlet, the right game, the right community, going into a Minecraft server with, you know, maybe people you don't know, but people who share a common interest with you and saying, look, I really need to talk to somebody. I know we don't know each other well, uh, but I just need to some perspective and I need to probably just vocalize what I'm thinking. You know, there's a therapeutic effect and this is why group therapy exists. It's not because the doctor needs to get billable hours for 15 people at once. Well, maybe it is. But overall, it's about the idea that we don't exist in this world alone. Right. And the problems we're facing don't have unique solutions. All of us exist some of the some version of the same problems. And we all are thinking machines, so we all solve the problems differently. Maybe with the same outcome, maybe not. And sometimes so, we try to solve things that aren't solvable. And and you see stories all the time uh, in the gaming press about so-and-so met the love of their life through EverQuest or World of Warcraft or playing Call of Duty 3 multiplayer zombies nobody ever found the love of their life playing zombies, but anyhow, <laughs> so hyperbole. Uh, but where that comes in is that that's a human connection with very little emotional risk to start with. So in many cases, when you're not being catfished, I mean, the bonds between two people there can actually be less guarded in some ways. And that's where the dangers of the internet also come in. But, it's a situation where we have these tools at our disposal to help us process these things. And again, I go in and I have a stranger and I have a conversation about, you know, what my dad meant to me and, you know, how I'm dealing with the loss. The stranger ultimately unlikely to care about the specifics, but, and this goes back to my fundamental belief about human beings, which may be wrong. I think the average person with no stake in the game will generally choose a supportive response to another human being. As, provided they don't Especially have other Especially if mental they can illness. relate, right? I mean, right. which, again, that's what it comes down to, like you said. We're all going through all of these things that other people have all experienced at some point. I mean, the there's a common thing, you know, we talk about uniqueness and something that came out, I don't remember what the source was. Everybody's already experienced everything you experienced. But the difference is they haven't experienced the order 
the exact ones in the order that you have. Which right? means you may have a different result. Correct. And right? a different so, way I mean, process. You know, everything that you've done, somebody's done it before, but the, the thing that makes you unique, unique is where you did it and the order that you did it is, mm-hmm. is what's unique to us. So Now, we're obviously talking about games here. We typically do. Because that's the topic that we cover on the podcast most of the time. And by the way, we're talking not just about video games. But also getting at a, sitting down at a you know a card table or a board game with people you don't know and just the natural conversation that can flow from that. And sometimes the escape that happens because you're playing risk with people you've never met. You're not thinking about this bad thing that happened to you. You're trying to figure out how to be the first one to take over Australia <laughs> so that you can take over the rest of the map. Um, so th- those are some good things. Let's talk a little bit about when things can get out of hand or go too far. There are some bad things to consider about using games or an external thing when you're trying to get through a trauma. Which, let's start with the first one. Games can be isolation. Not every game is social. And they aren't necessarily going to give you the tools if you don't have the tools in yourself to process the problem. Yeah, like Super Mario Brothers 3 isn't going to help you process life decisions. But 2 will because it's all about a dream. Right. <laughs> but but I think what you're saying is not all things help you process. Some things are just mm-hmm. merely distractions. So diving into something that, you know, when you're in a supremely dark place, well, when you're not able to function or you're close to that point... Going and, you know, diving into a 40-hour solo role-playing game in your basement with the lights turned down and it's got subject matter that maybe is emotionally connecting with you and it drives you further and further into that hole, that's not good. We just lost my mic. You lost your headphones. You're still live, Sean. I'm still up. Okay. Um, You might just want to mess with your thing up there. Um. So I think what you're saying is you don't you want to have an end game. You yeah. want you want to you you don't want the mechanism in which that you're you put in the show. I think what you the line item that expresses it the best is what you put in the show notes. Escape turns into avoidance and postponing and uh, right. what's the word? that I do all the time procrastinate procrastination. Yes. Um, Procrastination in itself is not an evil, but again, it's, it's all about taken too far. It's all about balance. Everything's about balance. Life is about balance. So that escapism, that was the word I was looking for earlier. um, Turns into this kind of, isolation where you get trapped and you get back into that feedback loop where maybe something's making you think negatively again and mm-hmm. you don't you're not seeing that's that's what's great about people and this is something as an introvert that I remind <laughs> myself is um everybody's different everybody has a different take somebody can, and what we said about uniqueness right you can put two people at the same situation and how they react is going to be completely different yeah and but you you keyed on something i think is also important and it's part of the things that we called out here you have to be careful not to just reinforce your own negative perspective 
That's right. what I and call I think, the echo effect. Well, and I think that's something that we've experienced a lot lately with the political ecosystem um, mm-hmm. is we're not listening to each other. We're, we're trapped in, tr- uh, uh, what's the word? Um, An echo chamber. No. A logical loop? No, when you're talking about political, it's just like you're, you're rhetoric. Rhetoric. You're, oh, yeah. you're speaking, you're not speaking examples. You're speaking rhetoric. You're not talking about. There's nothing substantive about right. what's being said. Right. People aren't speaking from fact. They're speaking from a platform or, a, correct. A, you know, a perspective or an agenda. Right. And so, again, it just takes listening to people and talking through and actually have a conversation. But mm-hmm. to kind of help you not be trapped in that negative feedback loop. And and the other thing I want to bring out about the echo effect, we need to seek people who don't necessarily share our experiences to help us. Or or beliefs. I mean, it helps to have somebody that doesn't agree with you on every single topic. Yeah, it uh, absolutely like does. Sean and I, I mean, we joke about it. But, you know, sometimes Sean will say something to me and I'll be like, what? And sometimes I'll th- say something to Sean and I'll be like, <laughs> what, you, what? No, what? Yeah. And the cool thing about our dynamic is we talk through stuff and, you know, we realize we're not going to shape each other. Well, we no, do. I don't think that's true. I mean, both of us are reasonable human beings and, and we take, yes, I just called you reasonable. <laughs> Write that one down. Uh, we We take stock of what we're saying right and what's being said we reevaluate it as we're saying it yeah so if i choose to change my perspective on something as a result of something you say i mean that's usually a result of me processing something a little bit differently um and when you're dealing with anxiety and depression and you know loss and grief it's often hard to get out of that kind of mental loop where you just continuously you're either exhausted or you can't find the door out of that. And, and somebody else coming in and, and going, you know, all you got to do is turn the handle and the door comes open. Hey, I got and it. And the whole time you. you're pushing on the door <laughs> because you you didn't realize there was a handle. I mean, and we're speaking in metaphors here, but another piece that I, I kind of talked about above when I was talking about the anonymity and, and socialness of games, it's important to quickly realize when you're in a bad interaction, when you're looking at the wrong person or the wrong people to give you that perspective, right? There are people out there who will find joy in helping somebody's bad life go worse. Yes. There are people who revel in uh, being depended upon to help somebody make decisions. Yep. There are people who will capitalize on the emotional upheaval somebody is going through Yep. Um, for their own benefit, whether that's monetarily, emotionally, I mean, whatever leads them to that. And so it's important Not as you everybody has your best interests at stake. No, that's absolutely, even those you pay to help you don't necessarily. Right. Uh, it's important to, when you're not in these times of stress and chaos, to identify that support system that you need. You know, I tell my kids something over and over and over again and through their lives. And I said, look, if you're surrounding yourself with people 
who don't make you a better person, who don't help you when things are going wrong. And challenge you. And challenge you when you're about to make a bad decision. Then you probably have the wrong people around you. And that's something to consider when you're going through your darkest hours and, and kind of the hardest times of your life. If you have good people around you, people who honestly, selflessly want to help, they will come through if you listen. If you are surrounded by psychophants and narcissists and people who may give you lip service but don't really have your best interest or their own is above yours, then you need to make sure that those aren't the people you go to. Right. All right. So shifting away from the opinion piece, um, I wanted to call out a few examples of games that kind of deal with these sorts of uh, topics. And some of them were created specifically by game creators to process a great loss or a horrible life event or something along those lines. And the first one that comes to mind for me, and this is more about the depiction of mental health in games. Um, and this isn't necessarily a positive depiction of mental health because sometimes mental health is not something to laugh at and and to revel in. And sometimes a game doesn't offer a solution. It just presents a different viewpoint. And, and the one that comes to, to mind with me is American McGee's Alice. And the reason I put this on the list is the main character of that game is someone who is struggling with mental illness. And if you think about the story of Alice, there's a lot of backstory to that. But in this game, you know, Alice is in an asylum and something bad has happened and she's processing the world around her in an altered state. And it leads to a bunch of really creepy platforming levels. Um, but if you take a step back and look at the story, you see that this is somebody processing some trauma and trying to figure out how to make sense of the world around them. There is not an uplifting ending to this, right? Alice doesn't come out the other side whole and happy and, you know, in a good place. That's actually kind of true of a lot of these games that we're going to talk about. Because the reality is a lot of people don't come out the other side of grief or anxiety or depression in a happy place. The other game that I think most recently has gotten a lot of attention in the press um, around its depiction of mental health and a disintegrating, unreliable narrator, right? The character you are guiding through the experience is has a deteriorating mental health is Hellblade. I, I can never say her name. Senua? Senua. Senua. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's another game that... You know, it's using video game mechanics to present a character who's not completely there. And what you find out through the series of that game is that there are some traumatic events that occur that lead the character down this road. And again, she doesn't necessarily get the happy ending. Um, she doesn't come out whole and hearty and, and you know, healed. Um, 
it's an important thing to, to kind of accept about the people around you. If you are not the one experiencing the, who's experienced a trauma or a loss or depression is that they don't always come out the same person they went in. Right. And as somebody who's providing support from the outside, we have to recognize that it may also beyond our capability to help them and that we can't necessarily take the, the guilt of that outcome on ourselves. Otherwise it becomes this kind of vicious repeating cycle, like a virus. Um, and, and you need to recognize that people sometimes need outside help and professional help too. Um, Another game, and, I, and there was a lot of talk about this. Uh, this was written by a game designer who was trying to process their own bout with depression. In, and it's in the name, right? Depression Quest. It's an indie game title. It, it talks about struggling with the ennui of depression and, you know, the, the fact that the character has changed and, and doesn't find joy in things. And doesn't seem to be able to pull themselves out of this this funk that they find themselves in. And and the way it's depicted in the game is is interesting. But you know, these are these are therapy too. So this is something we didn't talk about at the top. You and I talked about this a few weeks ago because I think I was at a fairly low point in in our conversation. And you know, and I'm I'm a creative person, mm-hmm. right? As I joke, I went to art school. I don't know why, but, uh, not math school. Yeah. And, uh, we were talking about creativity and we talked about the process of creativity because both of us struggle with this issue, right? We're creative people who like to make things or draw things or write things. We, we want to create, we have this urge, this spark inside of us, which is part of the reason we do this show. And, I felt like I couldn't do that, right? I was at that point in dealing with everything that's been going on in my life that I couldn't sit down and write a short story or draw a picture or, you know, even play a game because it was painful for me. And, and I don't know that everybody understands how, what that means, but it would cause me more anxiety or stress because I know that the output of that effort, I, it's a logic flaw. It right? is. You I know, felt you know whatever you're going to create is not going to be as good as it should be. Good, yeah. Even though the mechanism of just creating that the process drives away correct a lot of that. Yeah, and and so it's funny because you know we got into Inktober, which is this fake yeah. thing that everybody's doing these days. And then it's no shave November, November, uh, no November or whatever. Yeah. It's supposed to be Nano every, every month. Yeah, Na- Nano Remo, uh, which I'm thinking about the creative, creative stuff, outlet. not the yeah. hygiene stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, but these are these are events that kind of came out of people realizing they needed to they needed this driver for them to be creative. And even if people aren't great artists or great writers, a lot of them will take on these tasks because it can break them out of that cycle. Um, and so I had a few days where I was worn down and tired and, and just stressed. And I said, look, I got to draw. Even if it's horrible, which it's going to be. By the way, it wasn't. But it felt like it was going to be when I started. Um, I started drawing. 
And then I, again, I engaged or disengaged that forebrain where I was thinking about all the things in my life and I was focused on how do I draw this and what do I want to make and, and is it going to be good or not is not really what I was worried about at the time. Um, that Dragon Cancer is another game that I want to really call out here and, and Cancer has a very, very big part in why I've had to go through some of these things in the last few years, including my own bout with cancer. And uh, if you haven't played that game, it's it's the way the creator processed the loss of somebody in his life to cancer. And the best way that they could handle that was to make this game, which was about fighting through that loss and turning it into a game instead of dwelling on the fact that that person was no longer in their life. There's a, I'll try to find the link because if you don't want to play the game, but maybe you want to hear about the uh, podcast I listened to talks pretty much about the game, the development and the creators and their, their, their event. Um, but again, it's that that game specifically is there's just a lot i mean somebody they poured their souls into this game um about processing cancer and even if you don't want to play the game i highly re- highly recommend you listen to the podcast about it because again if you don't if you want to play a game that's fine i get it but yeah um i think you can kind of get the the takeaway from it from the podcast as well and there's some articles out there that were written by the uh game creator and some interviews that were done in the mainstream press mm-hmm. uh gaming press and mainstream press actually i believe they kind of talked about what was the origin of the game and why um and if you read about that you'll see that a lot of the same things we're talking about here really kind of drove that so even from pain good things can come correct um, there's two last last two games I want to talk about, and we'll hit these fairly quickly. The first one is Journey. Now, Journey is not specifically about processing isolation or guilt or loneliness or depression. But you can very easily read past that surface of you're a character just going somewhere and realize that it's talking about that element because the whole goal of Journey is to find the other people, right? To to recognize that this character that you play as is isolated and alone. And how do you I, process I, that world? The only thing about I would say about Journey is you got to play this game. Even if you this game is so accessible, your takeaway from it is going to be different than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. And I, it's one of those things that it, it is an experience that cannot be explained because it's about it's about transcendence about like you said finding people being and finding on... themselves right the main character kind of finds itself right and there's no spoken dialogue at that part there's right? nothing spoken you know no no preface of who you are what you are where you are and um yeah it's one of those games where you it, it is almost like a, a religious experience when you play it. Yeah. Um, and I think what I took out of it, so we're going to get to the opinion, was it's sort of just kind of, it, it's about coming to terms and about going mm-hmm. through hardship and about going through perseverance. Right. Right. I and mean, I think that's the main, one of the main themes of the game is, 
it's really kind of it's not hard. You don't die in the game. There's not there's not pits or enemies, so to speak. But it's about persevering through, you know, this desolate world mm-hmm. and kind of just moving forward. I think moving forward is is the story. Is right? the story. But and then the final game is Brothers: A Tale of Two Sons, which we've talked about. It's a game I cried about. Well, and, and that's the reason I put it on here, right? Because, because it's a game that walks you through, it connects you to the characters. If you really can get it, into it. It evoked such an emotional response. Um, and, and, and something we didn't talk about above is also when you're not in those states of crisis, sometimes connecting emotionally with something where there isn't an actual real crisis like this watching a sad movie, you know, what have you, that triggers those responses in us, can acclimate the brain to dealing with it without any real repercussion. Hopefully it doesn't tip you into it, right? Watching The Notebook shouldn't tip you into a spiral of, you know, of hatred because it's The Notebook and you hate Nicholas Sparks. But, oh wait, that's a really specific example. I don't think that's where I wanted to go. Um, (laughs) But I think... One of the one of the things I take about from that game, and I'm not going to spoil it because I really recommend you play it. Um, it's only a couple hours long, and it's been on Steam and PlayStation for like four dollars or three dollars. Mm-hmm. It's cheap, but it's understanding that people that have left us still exist. They, their impact doesn't go away. Their impact is still with us, and good or bad. It's understanding that as depending on who, who it is, who it is in your life, who people were, um, you know, we talk about, like you said, the negative, but it's kind of when you have the chance, you can pull out the positive. You mm-hmm. know, we always talk, nobody shares the sad moments on Facebook. Nobody posts when they're breaking down on Facebook. They only post when they're in the beach with their Mai Tais. And, well, that's and I, so I disagree. I think people do. And most people ignore it. Um, I would say small people, small amount of people do. Yeah. And it's often discouraged and looked down on when you do. Hey, well, you're and, whining. And, well, whine, oh, I don't want to talk about. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. People whining. And some people do. Like you talked about people that manipulate people. There are those people that every situation's bad and then get, get into the cycle. But they awfulize things. I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. But I do I do want to address your point of when people post something on Facebook. It's because people feel put in a spot like, oh no, they're not what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking for help. Sometimes it's just vocalizing it. Yeah, it's not sometimes looking it's inventing, sometimes it's vocalizing, yeah. and sometimes all you can do with you know, you don't know how to react is just uh acknowledge, you know. Well, and to bring this whole kind of perspective into closure. The thing I want to say is if you're out there and you're listening to us and you're struggling with these issues, reach out to somebody, somebody you care about, somebody who will allow you to vocalize or verbalize what's going on with you. And and maybe a sounding board, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe a clergyman, whatever it takes for you to realize that if you can, if you stay stuck in your own head, like Jared said, the generally the outcomes aren't good. Some of us are strong enough, you know, to pull ourselves out of it, but most of us need help. Even if it's just another perspective, 
even if it's just verbalizing, because the act of verbalizing what's going on in our head forces us to hear it, which is different than thinking and hearing it in your head. Right. Um, it, it engages different parts of the brain. The other thing is, if you know somebody that you think is going through something like this and you care about them, when they make comments, don't shut them down. Don't complain that they're whining to you. Don't minimize whatever triggered it that you think is inconsequential because chances are it was an avalanche waiting to happen. It wasn't one thing. It was one trigger Well, that, that sent them there. I mean, it's another cliched statement, but I mean, it's something that I keep in line or try to keep in my train of thought is everybody's fighting a battle every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, a cliched statement that you hear. and But it's like you said, when somebody gets upset about something, they may not be getting upset about what's happening. They're, it's, it's like an, a, a rolling pile of, you know, they're upset at everything that's going on. Um, yeah, it's not that one event that necessarily that, well, they may be, but right. in these contexts, when somebody starts going down the path with anxiety and depression, how we respond to them. And I'm not asking everybody to go hug a tree and be all the world is sunny and cheery because that I, actually doesn't work for most people. Not entirely, but hug a tree man i mean it's better than you think it is <laughs> I, no i'm serious i will hug a tree i know you will um you know we've we've got other things that we normally cover in the show i i think we're running long do we want to go through that and move it to next week we'll move we it do? to next week i think i think what we're the takeaway is like sean said if somebody don't there are the awfulizers out there but the majority of people are not awfulizers um, I never heard that term before you said that, but that's a good way of defining it. But, um, if somebody's upset, we're here, you gotta be here. We're all in this together. I, 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 know, I mean, I'm just spouting cliches today and I am sorry. <laughs> it's okay. That's how we process the world sometimes. Cliche, yeah. Cliches exist because again, it's common language. Yeah. Common experience. Yeah. Encourage those around you if they're in that trouble. To, to get help. And and this is and something, if you were that person. And a, and a personal, I want to bring up a personal thing that, sure. that you do for me sometimes. And we joke about it personally, but, you know, I'm a very internet connected person and texting is my main primary way of talking to people and <laughs> Facebook and Twitter. But sometimes Sean will just call me to talk to me because, again, he's, you know, that conversation is now the forefront of everything. It's not passive. Mm -hmm. It's not like text and then browse Facebook and go over to Twitter and read about Captain Marvel. And my, both of our attention is on each other. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I just want you to know, and I'll say it publicly. I appreciate when you do that, whether I, whether I fight it or complain about it, usually fight it because you call me old. Because I use a phone as a phone. He he uses a phone to call people all the time. I don't understand. But we did have to have this conversation once where I said, do you know why I call you? Yeah. Because we're talking to each other. Right. And we may be doing other things, but when you're engaged in a conversation. And that's. It's different. That's 
and and this is and this we'll close out on this. I'll, I'll wrap it up. But that's one reason why I love local multiplayer video games and tabletop video games. Mm-hmm. Or not tabletop, tabletop video games. Tabletop awesome. games. Um is because whatever the game is secondary. What it brings is you're there with your support system, or maybe people you don't know, but you're there and you're talking. And yeah. I've been in events where you starts off with something fun and then it evolves to something serious. And then the conversation ships back to something fun. Um, that n- natural like podcast tonight. Yeah. That, oh, that natural. It's just how conversation flows. I mean, it's something that I think is very underappreciated. Something that, you know, yeah, we don't think about. Um, and I think there were mechanisms that communities had that we don't value as much today that we probably should, you know, with being part of a community, going to church, um, those sort of interactions with people we've kind of made secondary and we go and complain. Our society has become global, which has also meant that it's not as connected to each other. Yeah. It's the ironic part of it. Yeah. We're more connected than ever to every person on the planet who has access to this global communication network. But we sometimes aren't as connected to the people sitting across the table from us. Right. That's a good takeaway. Let's end it right there. So, um, again, if you didn't notice, we were gone for a little while, but uh, we'll be back. Um, We've got lots of back feeds from our fans, which we'll bring up next episode. Um, but I think you should mention the one gratifying thing. Well, so yeah, we started this with season two and here's the reality. The one thing I'm really grateful for is my friends in this time when I've been under so much stress and so much change and some of it directly mine and some of it, the load I'm carrying for other people because I have that network of friends, some of which are involved and some of which aren't, I can always sit back and go, look, I let's just, let's go play a game. Let's, let's go watch a movie. Let's just hang out and talk for two or three hours. So about nothing. What's funny is Sean and I have tried to, uh, try to do this podcast two or three times over the past few months. Yeah. And, what it ultimately ended up being is just that, just talking, talking for hours, which is what we do on this podcast. Ironically, again, using that term in an inappropriate way. Yeah. But we, I mean, just, we would talk for hours and it would just, and then we'd look up and go, so do you still want to do the podcast? And we both would go, no, I think it can wait. Yeah. So, well, that's it. We will be back in episode 29. Um, I think Sean mentioned we're going to try to do a live show. We keep saying we're going to do it. I don't think we should mention it until we actually do it. Um, I'll do it. Right. Well, no, we're busy tonight. We've got plans, Sean. Come on. <laughs> so thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us. Let us know what you thought. Give us your, your back feeds in this episode. We'd appreciate it. And we appreciate we don't maybe don't say that enough, but we appreciate everybody that reaches out and comments and likes and it means a lot to us. It really I mean, does. It, I mean, we're not doing this for money. We're not doing this for fame. We're doing it because we enjoy it and we enjoy conversation. We like talking to people. So 
And again, maybe you have some outside perspective that will, you know, we can bring into the conversation. Welcome that perspective. Yes. All right. Till next episode.